Well, let's begin in verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 15. I'd like to read from there to verse 34, and then we'll walk through some of that content and work our way into the next section and, and see what we can get through today. Verse 29 is talking about the realities of the resurrection, and some were saying it didn't happen. Verse 29, Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead, if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in this manner of men I have fought with beasts of Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. All right, so let's just kind of break this down and see if we can take hold of, of what's embedded and what's, what this holds. It was a practice in the Corinthian church that will not be continued among other churches, among Bible-believing uh, or Bible-based believers. This practice of baptizing for the dead. It's kind of an odd thing. It's mentioned here, and, and the thought, not, even, not the practice, is mentioned in one other portion of Scripture. It's probably started by kind-hearted, um, compassionate people that were concerned for their loved ones who had passed away. And so people decided to do uh, substitutionary baptism for their loved ones who had not been baptized. So we have here what has happened in different shapes throughout the church history. What happens is many well-meaning ideas do not pass the test of doctrine. So our practices, what we do, are filtered through our doctrine. The practices that do not pass through the test are set aside. When I say doctrine, let me make sure we, we catch it. Uh, it comes from the Latin word doctor, meaning teacher. And it speaks to our set of uh, beliefs, um, our, our framework, the, the foundation for action and practice. You have in various business organizations and associations and different things of the doctrine. This is our core beliefs. This is where we sit. This is what it's about. And so for you and I as Christians, the Bible is the basis of our doctrine. Some people say, well, I'm not into doctrine. I'm into practical living. Well, your practical living is an expression of your realized doctrine. You, you can't actually say, I don't, I'm not a doctrinal type person. You, you actually are. You may not have uh, orchestrated it or outlined it or articulated it in such a way, but you do. You're compelled by what you, you know, see as your framework. Baptizing for the dead does not fit into the biblical framework. We'll consider, let's, let's, let's consider Hebrews chapter 9. We'll bring it up on projection. So we're, we're, we're considering this presentation of baptizing for the dead. Well, what, what's the basis for that? We see in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. 
So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So you catch verse 27. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So today, now, in this realm, in this world that we live in, this is when we respond to the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ, the good news. This is the time. We can't say, well, maybe later, I'll see how things work out in the end. No, no, no. See, now is the day that you determine, you decide, based on what God has shown you about your need, which is his grace, his unmerited favor, to show you and me we need forgiveness. We need his regeneration, really, to be born again, if you would. Because if and because it is true, it's this in this life only will that decision be made. There's no reincarnation, as some religions teach, where you come back as a different creature or maybe in a different status or a different position in culture and society and you keep coming back until you get it right or something i don't even know how you get to fill out the form to come back in a different spot or slot it's just it's really kind of odd i've I've been uh to india a few times and and i've seen quite honestly what i believe is a that there's a real mean side to that belief because when you believe that somebody needs to work out their karma, they need to work things out, you can't interfere with that. So you could be doing really well, and you could have, and I've seen it, literally on one side of the alley, there's a lot of wealth. And across the alley, there's deep poverty. And this person can't help this person, because if this person interferes with this person's prior life, then this person is actually going to set them back according to this belief. It's, you see what I'm saying? It's like you can't help because you could interrupt their process. So you end up functionally, practically neglecting someone you would want to help, but your belief, because it's not on a good foundation, tells you there's going to be a reincarnation, which there's not going to be. There's not a, a purgatory prison for purification where you're just, some systems teach that you're just held in this holding tank and hopefully somebody comes up some change and does a few things to kind of get you out of there. And it's not true. It is not what the Bible teaches. This verse tells us very clearly, it's appointed for men to die once after this, the judgment. No one can intercede. Jesus is the interceder, the only one, the only means by which we can be saved. Let's consider what Jesus had to say about this, if you would. In Luke chapter 9, in Luke chapter 9, specifically Verse 18, Jesus, it's one of these moments, because he taught this to them a couple different times, but it's one of those moments where he kind of just brings it down to where the rubber meets the road. They've been exposed to rituals. They knew routine. They were aware of the, the system, Judaism. They, they had been exposed to religion, if you would. And Jesus, as it happened, as he was alone praying, that his disciples joined him and asked him, saying, Jesus asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, "Mm, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah. Others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, Christ of God. What I see here is Jesus speaking to his disciples who had been walking with him. You know, they'd went to church, so to speak. They had been around him. They had been raised in a religious setting. 
And he asked them, well, what do people say about me? It's not because Jesus had some inferiority or he was taking a, 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 pop, you know, a, a popular poll or see where he stood in the standings. He's presenting this. What is, what is said on the street? What do people say? Well, some think you're John the Baptist. And some think you're Elijah. And others think you're one of the prophets come back from the dead. And I, and I, I imagine, it's just my imagination, if you would, that as he said that, there was a pause. A pause for purpose. A pause that he would just say, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Because it's the most important question. It's the question that has to be answered, has to be realized, recognized, and responded to in this life. It's tied together. I think it's pretty easy to see. No one can be baptized for you after you pass away. You determine in this life who is Jesus Christ based on what the word of God says, based on the truth of the resurrection, based on his offer of forgiveness, we respond to that question. So what's public, Jesus then becomes very personal, agreed? Hey, what's the word on the street? But more importantly, what's the word in your heart? What have you done with the gospel of Jesus Christ? As I've said, these men that he's speaking to at this point, you know, this group, They had been to church, so to speak. They had been to spiritual gatherings. They had seen certain things. They were in alignment with concepts and principles. They were okay with the reality of God. But he's saying, but who do you say that I am? Because see, we know they're going to encounter the resurrected Jesus Christ. They're going to encounter him and their lives are going to be wholly transformed, wholly changed because of it. So let's move back over, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 15 as we continue on our journey and looking at the realities of the resurrection, the reasoning through the certainty and the realities of the resurrection. Let's pick up in verse 30. So we just looked at, you know, what are you doing about this? You've been baptized to the dead for the dead, but you don't even believe in baptism. Why would you even do that? Verse 30, and, and why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. So Paul is presenting, there's a daily decision to live in the truth of the new life. A daily decision to live in the truth of the new life. He's like, why are we in jeopardy if there is no resurrection? If this this is just now and then it's done, why would people care? Because there's a much deeper truth and reality that he wants us us and them to realize. In verse 33, if it, or, uh, verse 32, I say, uh, look, if in the manner of men I fought with beasts, some believe that Paul actually, in this point of history, you know, he fought with beasts. Yes, it could have been lions and different things that were a part of the cultural games to where um, people were put in coliseums and gathering places, and, and then they had to basically try to keep from getting killed by a lion or whatever. That's probable. That's part of it. But there's also this reason to kind of consider it's much more than that. That there was even demonic being people that are indwelt, that have given themselves over to, to rejecting God, that were spiritually empowered demonically, and Paul's in a battle with them, literally in that, I believe, in the physical realm in that sense. Either way, it's just, he's saying, listen, I, 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 go, I deal with this, Why? Why would I even be concerned about it? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink. Tomorrow we die. There's no point to this. He's reasoned. And I I want you to understand, and and I know I'm 
I'm on this journey myself and trying to understand these things, but how patient and perfect is the word of God that he doesn't just say, listen, I died for your sins. I rose for the dead. Deal with it. I don't have to tell you anything else. I mean, that's how some people would probably present it if it was up to them. But he's saying, listen, I died for your sins. I rose from the dead. You have eyewitnesses. Let's reason together on this so you can see the truth of what I'm presenting to you. Why would, why would you baptize for the dead if there's no resurrection? Why would I endure this? Why would you endure that? Why would we go through this if there's no life beyond this realm we, we live in right here? It, it would be illogical. Verse 34, 33, I'm sorry. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Because Jesus gives new life, don't be pulled back into the old corrupt way of living. He's given you new life. As a born-again Christian, even though you're in this realm, this earthly realm the Bible speaks of, you're, you're in Christ, you're born again from the heavenly realm. He coming as a man, living in this life, paying our sin debt, then offers us his victory that we could be born again, born of the Spirit, in the, and still be in this realm. Being in this realm, we now live the new life, even though you're in this life. Isn't it one of your bigger challenges? Is it not true? As a Christian, I'm born again, but I'm still in the same world. I still am exposed to the same issues and you know different things. And, and yet as I'm free from the shackles of sin, I'm still under the presence and influence of sin. And I'm trying to figure out how to do life in a way that honors him. And so I guess what I'm saying, and I want to encourage you, is you know, live the new life. Don't be drawn back into this old way that was a deadly, in a way that shackled you to addictions and it shackled you to hurtful relationships and it brought despondency and, and a lot of confusing things into your mind. Be free from that. Say, okay, I want to live the new life. Now in verse 34, you can see it says to awake to righteousness and do not sin. Some would say, and I've had this dialogue and I'm sure many of you have in some form as well, some will say things like, I'm not perfect, but I do good things. You know, I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm learning as I go. I'm not, I'm not perfect, you know, but I'm, I'm getting it. Or they may say, I'm saved, and so it doesn't matter what I do. I have Jesus, and he knows me, and that's how it is. And so it's kind of an interesting thing that they would, people will hold on to this comparative, competitive type of relationship saying, hey, listen, I do better than that guy. I mean, I'm not a horrible person. I'm not terrible. As if somehow that validates the relationship with Christ. And you see what he's saying? Awake to righteousness. Awake to this. Righteousness of Christ brings new life. See, here's the thing to remember. You don't change your ways to become righteous to gain the new life. The new life in you changes your ways. Because you're born again, because you're born of the Spirit, you're saying, I, I want to awake to righteousness. I want to know this new life. Almost how sad it is in my mind to, to know there's times that we're held back by what people might think. We're held back by what we think we want to be. 
And we don't experience the new life because we're reserved. We don't want to go too far or whatever it may be. And in reality, the new life is the life we should be living. He's awake to righteousness, you know, and do not sin. Don't, don't say it's okay. Don't go that way. New life necessitates a new lifestyle. Agreed? It, new life necessitates a new lifestyle. I was born here in Adam. You and I, as Christians, were born again in Christ. So in Christ, there's this new life, new way of living. Not just conceptually, I'm born again, and when I get to heaven, I'll have a sticker. It, it's just simple. It's like, you know, now, now I, I am to live this new life. In Romans chapter 6, verse 16 we're told, as it says, reads, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? And so I believe that reminds us, you know, do not be deceived. Don't say it's okay. Don't just be not competitive but be willing to grow in Christ. Be willing to say, okay, I, I really need to know this new life. I need to know it. You need to know it. We all are in hunger for it. Let's continue on, our, on the journey here in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15. I want to read from 35 to 38. Someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not... So that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. So you see there in verse 35, he's asking, he's addressing a question that's common in our culture as well. When people kind of, we get to thinking about these things, and, and then there's this shocking reality, like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I love my grandma. She's been dead for 50 years. She was put in a pine box, injected with some stuff, but she's kind of worm food. And her body is in this process of deterioration, of decay, of coming apart. And then how, God, are you going to put it back together? Someone will say, well, what about the people that died in, a, in war and a bomb hit the building and they all, you know, they're blown to smithereens. How can God put them back together? What, what, how can he put that body back together? And people have talked about, you know, what about those who have been, you know, eaten by sharks? Or, you know, all this kind of conversation. It's like, well, well just, just, just hold it just a minute. He did make man out of the dust of the earth. He did create humanity. I'm pretty sure he can just recreate. It's not a stretch. It's, it's only a problem when we get what we would have to see the origin of it as being humanistic. In human terms, in human reference, in human logic, in human resources, I just don't see how you can put the body back together. Yeah, but you're not working in human realm. It's a divine element. So he's saying, listen, you know, and he, he kind of, in their faith, a foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies, and he uses the picture of grain. You take a piece of grain and you put it into the ground, and like he says, or wheat, and that dies, and what comes from it? a different form of life, a different life. We have this, this crusty, dry shell is broken open, and this green sprout, so to speak, protrudes from the earth at some point. So the, the one that was planted died, but the new life came forth. 
And he uses that in a natural way for you and I to realize that's a picture of dead in Adam, the old me, old you, but alive in Christ, this new life coming forth. And so he, I just think it's such, I love the way God presents this because he, he says you can get it. What you sow, you know, it's, whether it's grain or whatever, God gives it a body. To each seed, its own body. See, we do have, as we've studied um, the products of creation, as we've studied you know, different plant life and animal life and all these different things, and we've categorized and we've got these little, you know, different ways of saying, well, this is a grain and this is that and this is corn and this is an apple. And, you know, we have ways to categorize them because we have to agree with the fact, technically science, that when you put an apple seed in the ground, what in time will produce? Apples. Because it has its own body. See, you live in a time which, quite honestly, where we're facing these, oh gosh, I don't know how to say it, foolishness, that you can you could transfer. If you identify differently, you can occupy a different body. You can be something different. The implication is not a new way of thinking. It's an old way of denying the living God. The world we live in now says you can just identify, you can change your gender, you can become a cat, you can do whatever you want to be as long as you identify. No, you're given a body. And God did not mix them up and go, damn, which is apples or corns? I don't know what I got here. I got a whole basket of seeds. I don't know what it is. How silly. No, you are given a body. And it is the right body. It's not the wrong body. And it's so important because you're, we're going to face this more. It's going to increase. Why? Because in a, in a, in a world that is a God-rejecting, Christ-rejecting world, their framework and foundation, their doctrine will be anything but God. And because it's anything but God, anything goes. And the problem with building on that foundation, it's like shifting sand. It moves and changes and is unstable and is gone because it is denying God and coming up with an ungodly uh, declaration. So therefore, there's no limitation. You can just be whatever you want, but in the end, you're still who you're made to be. You're still who you are. And so let's just look at as he goes on in verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. So we have cats and we have dogs, and that's what we have. We don't have cogs and we don't have dats. You know, they don't become one or the other. They're, 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 they're out, they have a body. And it's really it's so simple. But do you see why I'm saying this is not just what you experience in this world. It's not just a shift in ideology and thought. It's an attack on the very truths of God. Because God has said very clearly, I give them a body, and each, for each body has its glory. He goes on to say in verse 40, there are celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, so heavenly and earthly. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So you see, you see, remember, we always want to keep it in the context as we read the content. He's talking about this truth that the resurrection happens. And people who had, couldn't see how it could take place, he's like, listen, the moon 
is distinct from the stars, and the, and the sun is distinct. It has its own body, its own presence. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor, which we know be sin. It is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. Continuing on, it says in verse 45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, which speaks of Christ, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. Why is the spiritual not first? Well, verse 47, the first man was out of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust, and is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly heavenly man. So here's what we got in conclusion. We have these resurrection happened in Jesus Christ. He's given us new life because he conquered death and hell. And when you're in Adam, you're in sin. When you put your faith in Christ, responding to his invitation, receiving the gift of life, you're now born again, born in Christ. So in Adam, now in Christ. And the first is what? In Adam. You can die in that state, and it's a terrible choice. It's a terrible way to do it. Because there's no option, there's no second chance. You have died rejecting the offer of life from Jesus Christ. Or in this life, you can say, well, who do I say that he is? You can say, okay, God, I, I don't get all this, but I, I, I desire, I agree, I receive this new life you offer. And you're from Adam, born in Adam, now you're born in Christ. The first, earthly, the second, spiritual. He says, we've been born in the image of the man of dust, Adam, and now we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4 reads this way. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So when he returns, when he appears, when you pass away, when I pass away, and we're in the presence of God, or when we depart as a group in an event called the rapture, we will be with him. We will be in our resurrected bodies. Resurrected bodies, I think, are fascinating. The, I can only not speculate. I can look to Scripture. You can too. Wonder, what's it going to be like? Because these bodies are, are dealing with the effects of sin. Death has entered this world. The effects of sin affect your life every day. Sounds negative, but it's really important to understand. When you took your first breath, you started the process of dying. Wow, that's so down. Damn, give me some hope for the day. Well, no, but it's true. It's important to realize. Because, you know, yeah, we age and we reach the peak and somebody call it over the hill, you know, that kind of thing. It's like you're a down cycle anyway. So here's like, oh, man. But guess what? That's not the end. It's not the end. We're not just like born into this life and then that's all there is. When we're born into this life, we then are, when we receive the new life, we have this new body, which according to Scripture, it's got our personality, if you would, because your personality doesn't die who you are as a person. 
And it's got other capabilities. What are the capabilities? Well, let's think about Jesus. Jesus' resurrected body had different capabilities, if you would. Two guys are bummed out because here they put their faith in Jesus. They've been following him. And then he went and got himself killed and got put in a tomb. Great. Now what do I do? You know, I got, they leave. They're walking away from Jerusalem. They're on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus just shows up and walks alongside them. He goes, like, what are you guys doing with your head kicking down? I mean, you got your nose down. You're, you know, what are you all bummed out about? And they're like, you're, dude, you're not around from around here, are you? I'm paraphrasing. He's like, no, what are you talking about? He's like, well, we, we, there's this Jesus guy, and we really thought he was the one. We thought he was the Messiah, but he's in a tomb back in Jerusalem. And Jesus began at the law and the prophets and walked through the word with them to show them the truth. And, and they stopped to eat, and, and, he, and it's, then their eyes were open. So somehow they, didn't even, they, they couldn't even see who was right there. But then they realized it was him. He didn't have some glow about him, like, ooh, you know. He was just normal to them. He was like, and they're like, whoa. And they get it, and then he's gone. Another time, the, the, the disciples are gathered together in this upper room type thing, not the one in Acts, but anyway, they're gathered together for fear of the Jews because the resurrection, hadn't, they hadn't had the visual confirmation. They weren't really settled in their mind. And so as they're gathered together, hoping that nobody finds them because the one they were following has already been killed and they're next on the list. So they're, they're afraid. And Jesus just comes into the room, doesn't open the door, doesn't knock, doesn't send an email, no text, nothing. He just comes into the room and they freak out because he had something about that resurrected body, the molecular structure, the protons and electrons and neutrons and all that holds it together allowed him, it, it, there was a change that allowed him to pass through solid and appear without being ethereal, without being just spiritual. It was his physical body because he says to them when they're freaking out, which you would too, he says, look, it's me. Touch my hands, touch my arms, touch my side. It's me. And they're like, whoa. So his, the resurrected body is fascinating. A.E. Wilder Smith, amazing man of God, said that he speculates, leans towards, because he's a really brainy guy, and really you know, studied this, that ultimately you'll be able in the resurrected bodies to travel at the speed of thought. So even those of us who are slow thinkers, we're still moving pretty quick. I mean, literally to think, I want to be on the rings of Saturn, and boom, you're there. You know, Jesus went from one place to another. And, and I, I only say that, just as I've already said, through not just imagination, but pondering and wondering, what will the eternal body be like? The resurrected body will be, be built for eternity. This body is built for this environment. If you travel outside certain aspects of this environment, you need to do something. It's called self-contained other underwater breathing apparatus, right? You got to put something on to go into a new environment to exist. So you we've learned how to do that. Well, we won't have to do that in the eternal world. You know, the bodies will be made and I, I just think it's exciting. I got to shut her down because I get excited about this stuff because it's so important. The reason it's important is because we got to ask this first question. Jesus talked to men and women and children and youth in that day, but he took them all to this same point. Who do people say that I am? In your peer group, in your club, in your group, what about you? Who do you say that I am?
Not because your parents say something, not because grandma prayed for you, not because, you know, good friends like Jesus. What about you? Who do you say that I am? Because we have this option, this invitation to be in Christ, not just dead in Adam, to experience this new life. So as the worship team comes up, we'll project, and you can even turn to our closing verse, a verse that uh, is very thought-provoking, and it, it fits well, obviously, in this text we're looking at. And it's 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. You can read verse 1 there on the projection. But I want you, to, as you read it, to think about what it's saying. It's telling you and I to think about what manner of love. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. What manner of love is this that you, that me, that we would individually be invited into a, a relationship with the living God? It's a phenomenal love. So why don't we pray? And then I'm going to read verse 2 in the process of as we're praying, as we end our time, uh, we're going to join together and the team's going to lead us in a song of worship. Will you stand with me? God, as we would be prompted by your word, even in this verse in 1 John, that we would ponder and wonder process and think through and reason what manner of love that you have bestowed and brought lavished upon us that we would be called your children we know that love is expressed through the resurrection the resurrection is the culmination it's the victory prior to the victory there was the suffering prior to the victory you endured the hostility of humanity. You came to your own and your own would not receive you. They crucified you. Put you in a tomb and left you for dead. Problem solved. But God, you rose from the dead. You conquered death and hell. You endured, endured and even paid the price of sin that we owed. Behold what manner of love you have given to us. And we thank you for that, God. If you're here and you're still maybe thinking and wondering, maybe you're trying to ignore it, but in reality, you, you, you need to deal with who do you say Jesus is? Are you still in Adam or have you experienced this new life in Christ? It's a decision that you make. It's a personal decision. It's a decision of honesty and truth. To agree with God that you need his forgiveness for your sins, to believe that Jesus is God. He rose from the dead. It's verifiable. The reality of the resurrection is true. And so believing that he rose from the dead, you'd put your confidence in him, trusting him. And it would sound maybe a prayer in some fashion like this, God, I, I, don't, I don't understand all this stuff. And it's kind of odd a bit, but... I know I have sin. I know I've rebelled against you. I know I need your forgiveness. And so I would ask that you, Jesus, would give me this new life you speak of. I admit I need your forgiveness. I ask you to give me the new life. And I would ask you to show me how to live it, to, to walk in truth. And so, Jesus, I, I really need you. As we sang earlier, I would declare, 
I need you this very hour. I need you in this moment, always. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you have done and what you will do. As we would conclude with even with this verse, Lord, may you just write it on the tablets of our heart. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, Jesus, come, Lord, come. Come quickly, oh God. In your beautiful name we pray. It's in your name we even praise and worship. And everyone said, amen. Amen.